Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Surgeon, freedom fighter, comedian, plant-based diet activist. Does this sound like four different people's lives? It's not. It's all part of one man's story, which is legendary. My guest today is considered an icon of freedom of speech and press. He himself would likely revoke any praise given to him, but his being humble merely affirms what I just said. I let Dr. Bassem Youssef's story speak for itself. Flashback to Cairo, Egypt, January 2011. It's the beginning of the Egyptian revolution, and in the middle of it, the surgeon Bassem Youssef takes to the streets to stitch up injured protesters. What he witnesses disturbs him so much he starts to tape five-minute videos of satirical political commentary on his iPhone in his laundry room to expose the hypocrisy of the corrupt Egyptian regime and state-run media. These videos of one man speaking truth to power go viral, garnering millions of viewers. He was one man standing against the regime with no weapons but his jokes, and it soon made him an enemy of the state. Fast forward a few weeks, and Bassem Youssef ends up with his own national television show, which is also the first political satire show in the Middle East, period. And it gains a massive audience, with 40 million viewers per episode. Bassem Youssef was nicknamed the John Stewart of Egypt, and in fact appeared on The Daily Show with John Stewart four times. While Youssef was popular with the people and made a nation laugh during a revolution, his poking fun at those in power came at a very high personal price. As lawsuits and death threats poured in, his show was canceled in 2014, and he fled the country to the United States. Bassem wrote the best-selling book, Revolution for Dummies, and is the subject of the critically acclaimed documentary, Tickling Giants. He was also named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People and one of Foreign Policy Magazine's Leading Global Thinkers. He now lives in Los Angeles and is reinventing his career as a satirist, comedian, and a storyteller. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Awesome. It's an absolute privilege to be with you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me here. You know what's so fascinating about you is you are my favorite type of personality, your slasher personality. I'm sure you say this to everybody. But that's 
I'll, I'll take in, it. In your case, though, it's true. And actually, in a more traditional way, one would say you're a renaissance man. You have expertise and accomplishments in so many different areas. I mean, you're a heart surgeon. You're a comedic. You're a producer. You're a best-selling author. Uh, and I still can't get a show on Netflix. It's crazy. <laughs> Everybody is getting a show on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu. That's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> and the scope of your story is crazy, too. Here we are sitting in L.A., and, but where it all started is actually 2011 in Egypt. Your story is legendary. But for those people who have now, now You're basically you're raising people's expectations now. <laughs> now. Now they're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> Your humbleness is actually <laughs> testament to everything that I say. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But for the people who um, don't know about your story yet or those who need a refresh, can you take us back to the Arab Spring and explain to us what happened there? Actually, my story starts before the Arab Spring because before that, for uh -huh. 18 years, I worked and I studied as a doctor. And yes. I, I was a heart surgeon uh, in Egypt and I was ready to leave Egypt and come to America because I was accepted in a... Uh, in a clinical fellowship to work mm -hmm. here as a doctor. But then the Arab Spring happened, mm -hmm. and my, my life uh, changed forever. Uh, we had a revolution, people wanting change, people wanting to get rid of a dictatorship, and then living under the same dictator for 30 years. It's kind of a dream come true. It's like you never think that this will happen. So a lot of people rooted for the revolution, including me. But then there was two different realities. There's the reality that you see on the streets, revolutions, protests, people mm -hmm. wanting change, freedom. And you and, were right there. I mean, uh, you helped stitch protesters. I, I right? was one of the doctors who was there. I was not one of the revolutionary people who were like throwing rocks mm -hmm. or having given the clashes. I was doing my work as a doctor. But then there was a different reality happening in the media. Uh, the state-run media was spreading uh, lies and false narratives, basically saying that this is not a revolution, this is a bunch of thugs, this is like a conspiracy. Kind of what populist propaganda would do and I, and I was um, uh, I was pissed that that was happening and uh, I was been always a lifelong fan of John Stewart and I I always played with the idea what if John Stewart show came uh, <laughs> like become an Egyptian version of, of it here and I started to do these very low budget YouTube videos based out of my laundry room and uh I didn't think too much about it. And then the next thing you know, millions of people watching the YouTube videos and every single network wanting me to host a show. Fast forward a few weeks and you actually have your own show. On television and in within a year, uh, each episode will having, we're having 40 million people watching in Egypt, basically a third of their population. That's like about how many million Americans watching one show at a time? Yeah, it, if it, it, that would be kind of uh, maybe uh, imagine if a hundred and and million, and twenty millions yeah. watching yeah. the show, you know. But that came with a price because uh, the authorities didn't like me that much. So I was persecuted. I was uh, arrested. I was interrogated. I I, uh, I went through a, a long process of interrogation, and then uh, finally my show was banned a couple of times actually. And I had to escape and leave Egypt and kind of start my uh, another phase of my life in the United States. Mm. And what you recapped so briefly actually spanned quite some time that you were you and your team were working under massive 
pressure. You just mentioned yes. it. I mean, lawsuits, death threats. You had people turning against you on the streets. How did your psyche cope with that? And what kept you going on? Denial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to uh, shut that off in order to focus on your work because you can't you can't leave, make this cripple you. I, I I was just focusing on creating the show. That's what mattered to me most. And But, what you just said, treating the show. Do you think your medical training actually uh, took a hold of you there, like when you're treating patients because you shut everything? May, maybe a part of me being a nerd helped, <laughs> and a part of me kind of shutting everything else and focusing on the show helped. But it was tough, and uh, the pressure was uh, enormous, and it was difficult. And um, and then eventually the show was banned indefinitely by the government, and I and they came after me. And I had actually to escape, and yes. and I escaped from Egypt at uh, end of 2014. Uh, I went to Dubai. I stayed there for a year, and I found that like the uh, the only way that I would stay in the Middle East is to compromise. I would either do I was offered to go back do the show in Egypt, but you know under certain conditions mm. and restrictions and agreements, and I couldn't do that, or to stay where I am and do just empty worthless entertainment and i didn't like that too so i left uh, the middle east and i came here to uh, the united states and where you're doing many absolutely fascinating and culture changing things and which we're going to talk about very shortly and just to go back to that time because for some of those who are listening to us watching us and i mean it's massive you're 30 40 million viewers per episode what do you attribute this enormous success Too, because what you did back then also was absolutely unique. You had the very first political satire show in the Middle East, period, right? Uh, people are like uh, the culture of speaking truth to power, especially mm -hmm. with humor, was not something that people are used to. Mm -hmm. And I think people needed that. It is uh, people uh, here is, is it's a set art. It is an established part of entertainment, political satire, making fun of authority. But there, that, that, was, not, um, that was not something that people would think that would happen. So, and many of the people even hated the show. But they would hate watch it because it was different. Mm -hmm. So they would mm -hmm. watch it, then they would criticize it. So I owe a lot of the ratings to the people who hated the show. <laughs> Uh, and um, so, yeah, that that was something new, and the whole Arab world watching it. Watch it. It, it, it. Although we were focusing on Egyptian politics, every every everybody in the Arab world was watching the show too. Mm. And you just mentioned it also, you know, talking about humor and satire. The title of your best-selling book, "Revolution for Dummies," yes. laughing through the Arab Spring. It already hints at this. Laughter is a very important weapon in the arsenal of an activist, a freedom fighter, media critic. Um, why is humor so dangerous to dictators and figures who usurp power? Because dictators, whether they were religious dictators or military dictators, they are used f to uh, blind obedience, blind uh, following. Uh, they, they have nothing else going on other than fake respect and fear. So the only way to lead the masses is by fear, and they need the respect that comes with that. So when you poke fun mm -hmm. into them, they have nothing. So uh, and that takes away from their in their mind their authority. So now they cannot lead, and uh, and that jeopardizes their authority. 
There's something that I've heard you say on a couple of occasions, let laughter be thy medicine. What is that? that, that, that I didn't say that. Yes, that, you, did. That, 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 yes no, you did. No, no, no. That yes, was, did. Maybe I did, but like I didn't come up with this. That That's a very old proverb. Yeah. Like, yeah. Some, some Greek guy said it, I guess. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> maybe Greek guy or Egyptian. I don't know. But like yeah. that was like way before me. <laughs> Somebody smart yes. said it. And, and I mean, it's true. And I stole it. <laughs> and it's true. And um, but what exactly are the healing powers of humor? Well, uh, people uh, like humor makes people cope with a lot of uh, uh, of difficulties, and they also take away when they take away that fear out of the the images of the uh, dictators. It makes pe- it, it makes them accessible. It makes mm-hmm. them. And if people can actually stand against them, mm-hmm. because when you because you cannot be afraid of something that you laugh at, so uh, that is why it is very important. But however, a lot of people kind of use uh, they think that humor or satire is the only solution, so they become lazy, they become complacent because they just laugh and they don't mm-hmm. actually like get up and do something about it. Yep. So satirists or comedians are not the solution. They 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 would just like show people a, a different path, a different point of view. But it's really up to the people to make the changes, not the not the satirists yes. or the comedians. I agree 100%. Um, democracy is something that's alive. And if people are not actively participating, it dies. I mean, it's a fact. And I mean, we see so much divisiveness around the globe right now, whether you look at the political climate in the US, in Europe, South American countries, the UK, and on and on. And there's a lot happening that we wouldn't have fathomed 10 years ago. So what does that mean with our, in relations to our obligation to as citizens, to speak truth to power. Yeah, of course. But again, it is not just the humor. The humor is, is maybe could be a starting point. But uh, people get caught up into the theatrics mm-hmm. of protests, like political satire, like uh, going into rallies, like uh, writing cute little signs and posting them on Instagram. But at the end of the day, but you, and then you find that, for example, in Los Angeles, you had like, marches and women's marches and rallies where 100,000 people come in and then there will be like local elections uh, around the corner and, and, and maybe less than 12% will show up. So it is, I think it's about doing the, the not so much of uh, fun stuff, mm-hmm. like voting, mm-hmm. like um, uh, like being more engaged and in, in, in into the political process other than just going out to post a cute picture for you for Instagram and say, like, uh, freedom or resistance because it stops there. Superhumanize. You yourself become somewhat of an icon of the Egyptian revolution. What is your assessment of the current situation? Oh, no, situation I'm not an there? icon of the I, 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 I cannot <laughs> accept that, uh, that, that amazing honor. But, like, I'm not an icon of the Egyptian revolution. I was just, like, a person who was doing his job mm-hmm. in comedy. But there's, a, like, much much more important icons than me, better than me and than in the Egyptian revolution. What is your current assessment of what's happening in Egypt? Well, it is a military dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the military is taking over, and they have uh, local, uh, regional support from uh, countries around them. He has the support of the current administration in America. 
we have seen throughout history that military dictatorship doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you have an overbearing uh, a, a, a power that could not be held accountable, could not be questioned, could not be compete, like, competed with, you, the whole country goes down the drain. And it's not just politically, economically and socially and everything because there is no transparency, there is no accountability, there is there's nothing. They can do whatever they want. They can take over businesses. They can control the outcome of the political discourse. Mm-hmm. So it just becomes uh, a monopoly for everything and monopolies don't work. Do you have hope for change, I mean, in Egypt specifically? Change is how is basically the essence of this life. Of course, there's mm-hmm. going to be change. But when and how and is it going to be a better change or worse change? I don't know. Because I stopped predicting anything in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> and in life, in general, nothing is predictable. I mean, you're certainly somebody who exemplifies that. You've seen so much change through your life. Um, uh, the last of it not being moving to the United States and completely reinventing yourself. I mean, you have embarked on an astounding career. You have a huge social media following. You do your own podcast, Remade in America. You do stand-up comedy. Uh, you're a producer. You're working on movie deals. And you also have a really great um, docuseries out that's called Plant B, which I love. And it had me in stitches. Uh, the well, well, the other projects are, you know, you know how things move very slowly in Hollywood sometimes. <laughs> So basically, my status quo is like I'm still waiting for the big break. So hopefully, all of these deals will uh, materialize into something uh, more uh, concrete. The uh, Plan B is something mm-hmm. I'm very excited about because this is the first bilingual uh, docu series about plant-based diet. It's in Arabic and in English. Mm-hmm. It's directed uh, primarily to the people in the Middle East, but it could be watched by anybody who can speak English because. I wanted this to be more of a, a, a seed of something much more global uh, because nobody speaks to the people in the Middle East about plant-based at all uh, or changing their food habits. And this year, uh, the Middle East have surpassed America in the rates of obesity and diabetes, which is uh, pretty much dismal. Yes. Nobody's doing anything about it. I, I started the Plan B and everybody made fun of it and said like, oh no, um, nobody will, um, what are you talking about? Nobody will change your habits. But the surprise was hundreds and thousands of people actually started to change and follow and take our 21 days challenge and started their, to change their lifestyle. Yes, because you also have a really uh, well done website. It's a plant b.tv where yes. people can sign up for the 21 day challenge and they can find recipes and they yes. can find all the information they want uh, all, and all of the frequently asked questions there's a lot of questions that comes when you tell people to go plan based and there's a lot of misconceptions so we speak to people about that mm-hmm. and we use their feedback in in order to update this website and always have the questions that people need to ask And you address a lot of these misconceptions in the episodes. And what's so brilliant about these episodes is that you have a very science-based angle, and you, uh, you yourself and a lot of other very well-known experts, I mean, from uh, Dr. Colin Campbell, uh, Dr. Esselstein, Dr. Greger, and so forth, deliver the facts. At the same time, it's really intertwined with comedy, your yeah. trademark humor. So you're bringing this 
laughter, the angle of having fun, laughing, the comedic aspect, also into educating people about plant-based diet, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Mm. And um, actually, the episodes, there's millions of viewers. It's, it's a big yes, success. Yes, uh, we are surpassing 8, 10 million views. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there's a lot of people who have, um, other than just like, the, the views, people are also getting, the, the, like, uh, sending me success stories, mm -hmm. se sending before and after pictures, uh, telling me about how their parents, the last people on earth that would ever go plant-based, are diabetic and they, they were, were diabetic and they actually went to plant-based diet and they changed yes. their life, which is a very impressive. It's a beautiful, it must be so rewarding. And yes. you know what really, um, <laughs> also put a big smile on my face, one of the most viewed episodes is actually the one where you talk about the wedding night and erectile dysfunction. dysfunction yes. So once you start talking about sex, all of a sudden all these people who haven't listened to you before go plant-based, you're hard, but when you talk about sex, you have everybody's attention ah uh, yeah that, that's the way you do it because no it seems nobody cares about hearts they just want <laughs> to talk about sex which is also there is a you know the urban myth that every, every culture has we so we have this myth that uh, the meat the fish the lobsters the this is what makes you more um sexually able mm-hmm which is completely op the complete opposite because at the end of the day that's that is food that is full of fat yes and that makes your heart thicker mm -hmm. your your blood thicker and when you have your blood thicker basically yeah, the the sexual process the erection this is this is all depending on blood flow so now you have you have compromised your blood flow and and people don't understand that what they think is making that what they should make them more manly, if mm -hmm. you want to say, is actually taking away from them and make them and 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 a lot of people at the age of in their twenties and thirties now have erectile dysfunction. Right, and it's and actually, they don't understand why. Yeah, and it's actually a very serious issue because it's the so-called cannery in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. You have a problem with that. It's indicative of having massive dysfunction going on in your. In your body. Yes, yeah. you know, we have in medicine we have atherosclerosis anywhere. Uh, anywhere is atherosclerosis everywhere. Yes. So, and people don't understand that the penile artery is even much, is 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 so small. Is sometimes even like uh, is 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 um, um, if you have a problem there, you must have a problem also in the coronary arteries. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's atherosclerosis anywhere is atherosclerosis everywhere, and a lot of your problems is actually depending on whether it was inflammation or pain. Is depending on compromised blood flow. Right, and this particular issue, I mean, popping a blue pill is not the solution. Going plant based is something that is very effective and yeah. can heal your entire system. And this is actually also. Uh, how we got introduced a few years ago. We were both at a uh, conference called the Oslo Freedom Forum. It's a yes. human rights conference. And I was very aware of your work as a media critic, as an activist. However, the friend who introduced us, he said, hey, here is a fellow vegan. And we were <laughs> just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and this is how we met, exactly. Yeah. I mean, how did this come to pass for you? When did you go vegan and why? Uh, 2013, so basically six years ago. Mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine who um, um, was diagnosed in 2006 by MS, multiple sclerosis. And I was devastated when I heard the news because I, we used to play basketball and soccer and volleyball together and athletics. He was a very, very, very uh, athletic person. 
and then but the, so when I heard it's no 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 he's he's okay now it's like what do you mean he's okay nobody comes back from MS so I went to talk to him and he explained to me that how he changed his life his lifestyle how he went into water fasting and after water fasting how he became a, a much more healthier person and how he stopped taking medications mm-hmm. which is which was the water fast uh, gave his body uh, the chance to reset and yes, purge toxins exactly uh-huh. yeah and 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 that was very uh, interesting that was very interesting for me and i started to uh, read more about it and watch more videos and uh, attend conferences and mm-hmm. and get into this world and i said like you know uh, how come i wasn't informed about this and that's the problem also a lot of doctors have this ego that they know everything but we have to admit that we only get less than 17 to 19 hours of uh, nutrition education in our medical schools. Was that back in Cairo or the same applies here for the U.S.? The, in, the, or in even the US, less here, right? In the no, in U.S. a little mm-hmm. bit more, mm-hmm. but that's like maybe 21, 21 hours. Maybe in Egypt it's even less. And um, we really don't know. And uh, that's why those new brand of physicians mm-hmm. are coming up and telling people this is the way that to, ch- to change your life. How long did it take for you from the moment that you became aware of this possibility to actually make the change in your life? Well, the next day. The next day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I never mean, looked back. Uh, yeah. I mean, I heard his story and said, that's it. I'm going to try tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then as I was like, I, I transformed and then I, I, I started to, he gave me resources to read and it just solidified my position even more. Was it hard for you to give up? Because there's also an addiction yes. going on, you know, especially with dairy. We're literally Absolutely. addicted to dairy. Absolutely. And I cannot, I cannot say, to be completely honest, I mean, it's been six years, but I, I can tell you that, like, yeah, in six years, there's a few times where I ate a little bit of cheese or a little bit of meat. But as I go, like, the more I get, like, I stay into this routine, the less I miss it the uh, the less tempted i am uh it becomes more difficult when you travel but even that when you get your, like because when you don't eat these this this stuff and you try eating them i i, I you don't feel good mm. so now my body is regulating itself so yes in the beginning it's hard and even the very first episode that i did about plant based in that plan b it was about food addiction and it was more of an empathetic approach to people. Uh, because I, I know that people have a, a bad... Uh, uh, vegans have a bad reputation, especially the militant kind. <laughs> we and all I, know those. And I, and I, never, and I never, uh, never used this approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for 40 years of my life, I was not plant-based. And I was a meat eater, a cheese addict, a sugar lover, everything. So I understand. So I, when, when I talk to people, I talk to them with a, in more of an empathy. And I don't understand, and and and, and I and I know it's hard, and there's different ways to get into it without going cold turkey. And even if you cheat every now and then, it's not the end of the world. It's not Absolutely. a cult. It's not. It's it's not problematic. It, you just have to be more thoughtful about what you eat. And I think what you just said is something really, really important. Even if you cheat every once in a while, that's totally fine. Uh, we've spoken in the past and private about my own philosophy, AVAP, as vegan as possible. Meaning, you know, if you fall off the green wagon because you eat a uh, cheesecake or a bechamel sauce that your aunties don't scrap the whole mission, just jump it's, right it's back up. It's, it's not okay. the end of the word. It's not the end of the word. It's just like, it's fine. Like, yeah, uh, we just want to tell people, listen, if you eat yogurt and if you eat cheese, I just want you to know that you just ate something that's unhealthy. Yes. 
and but it's better than you eating he- uh, yogurt thinking that this is healthy it's like nobody will uh, will dispute the fact that ice cream is not healthy right so you eat ice cream you know you know that you're eating so you know that you're cheating mm-hmm. just just having this mindset and 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 i tell people if you have a disease it's better to go 100% plant based and if you're fine and you're feeling great yeah you can cheat every now and then it's not the end of the world but like the more strict you are you will feel better and if you can be so strict it's fine it makes a huge difference yeah. physically and uh, you yourself what were the immediate differences you noticed because you really went sleep. 180 sleep yeah and so i was insomnic mm-hmm. and i couldn't sleep how many long. days into the change of diet oh the second day it was crazy second or third day that my the two things i noticed quite like the sleep and the bowel, bowel movement superhumanize so many people take uh, a lot of these problems that millions and millions deal with for just granted it's normal or it's part of aging you mm. spoke about a massive problem which is sleep and then we have all these little aches and pains that come you know from getting inflammation in, in the body just feeling unwell migraines eczema and on and on and on yeah. where truly it's based on on food on and food. and people and unfortunately people think that it is part of life and it mm-hmm. shouldn't mm-hmm. And what is, you just mentioned that the uh, Middle East just surpassed as a region the U.S. as far as obesity problems go. And diabetes, yeah. And diabetes. What is the current mindset of people in the Middle East? How are they dealing with this? Because this is not only an individual problem. I can imagine it's also a massive problem for the government. Well, there's a lot of resistance from the people because you're dealing with centuries of tradition mm-hmm. and uh, habits. Uh, and a lot of people may be a little bit more combative and much more abrasive in receiving that. And I expected that. I didn't expect that our people will uh, receive it with open arms. But yet, the changes that was done was, I was surprised by like how well it was received, on the other hand, by other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is this is what happens whenever you put any product out in the world whether it's a YouTube video, whether this podcast, whatever, there are people who would like it and people who would reject it. And you deal with that. It's not. It's never a, an all or none. Mm-hmm. This decisive all or none. Everybody will like it. Everybody will hate it. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't work this way. It's very true. And I know that in the Middle East, religion also plays yeah. a role in the way food is perceived. How so? Well, the thing is, it's not even religion. It is people's interpretation of religion. So they tell you, oh, but God gave us these animals as gifts. Like, well, he also says that he gave you these animals to ride them. So if you use a car or a plane, you're not a sinner, right? So why are you picking and choosing? If you want to live like exactly like this time of where the revelation happened, you just go full desert man, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't work this way because, uh, uh, there is not, 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 no, there's nowhere in religion that says that you have to have that amount of meat. Nowhere. There is no one in religion that tells you that there is that amount of milk. There is, and, and that's what, this is, this is the kind of discussion that people go, people do. Like, but God gave us like everything and he told us to eat in moderation. So God, did he define what is moderation? Did he tell you how much meat 
how many ounces of 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 lamb or chicken did you have to have a day no uh, at the end of the day if you believe in religion it should be something that to make you a better person and if 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 medical advances tell you that this is something unhealthy there's no reason to continue doing it mm. so that is that is part of the back and forth especially when people do uh, like want to use religion and people who do that they will do you just like put religion everywhere It's if you want to talk about mm-hmm. freedom they will just insert religion mm-hmm. and they will interpret in a way uh, that uh, it has to be l- limited by certain uh, rules and, and 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 boundaries if you talk about uh, women if you talk about uh, anything uh, there are certain people who just like bring religion into everything mm. it seems you know uh, propaganda whether it's in politics or religion or even when it comes to food, some of the most divisive things of our time. I mean, yes. nothing gets people riled up more, whether it's what you put on your plate, who you vote for, or uh, what you, who you pray to. And maybe even food is more because it is something that you're attached to three times a day. Yeah, two, three times a day, mm-hmm. and it's attached to your family tradition, your country's tradition. It's attached to your self-image. Yes. You once said, um, good health can unite people. Please explain that in more detail. Well, I think that uh, at the end of the day, when you do, when you have people uh, adopting uh, healthy habits, mm-hmm. uh, you create a community. Because whether you're going to the gym together, whether you're eating healthy together, you need a community, you need a support, you need people to have uh, to be uh, supportive to what you do because sometimes doing it alone is difficult because at the end of the day it's commitment that's why you have communities like crossfit it's a crossfit is a community yeah. vegans is a community you have people who are doing yoga that's a community when you, it is it's about commitment and being accountable so you do it with other people to have people uh, do it together and that is how you unite people There is, um, you know, the types of people who, like what we talked about before, they use religion to put it in between them and healthier life choices. Uh, but there's also people who try to use a misconception of science to put it between themselves and just a healthier lifestyle. Uh, let's talk about genetics. This is also something you touch upon in an episode of Plant B where people will say, oh, but it's my genes, you know, yeah. who caused this disease and my father and my grandfather, yeah, my great-grandfather. Which, which is, this is basically an excuse to continue doing uh, mm-hmm. bad habits. But it is... If cancer runs in your family, it's not your genes, it's your food habits that runs in your family. It's yes. because you share the same plates and the same habits, it's not the genes. And to and a proof for that is, look at immigrants, especially immigrants from, coming from uh, the Far East. Mm-hmm. Uh, Japanese and Chinese, when they first come to America, they're first-generation immigrants, they are uh, they're healthy, they're thin, they're loyal to the food that they ate in their homes. And then their their children will eat a little bit of an american food a little mixed with the tradition so they get a little bit fatter by the third or fourth generation they are, have all the obesity and the diabetes that western communities have mm. so this is genetics it's mm. the same genetics the genetics didn't change if you look at the uh, gulf countries saudi arabia emirates uh, bahrain qatar 40 years ago before oil When they lived a very simple life, they didn't have, they were healthy, they lived longer, they didn't have these kind of very debilitating chronic disease. Now they have mm. uh, the same uh, rates, uh, health indices like the United States. Uh, 
their genetics didn't change in the last 40 years. It's the same people. Yes. It's just their lifestyle changed. And which is actually in reverse a very bad negative example for how epigenetics works. You know, um, modifi modifying your gene expression by yeah, a yeah. lifestyle. But you can always do that with, with, with food because, yes. it, because uh, take, a, for example, uh, a disease like type 2 diabetes. This is a disease that is caused by food. Mm -hmm. But then when they treat you, they give you a pill. Mm -hmm. So how is a disease caused by food could not be treated by food? You just like stop eating the poison that actually caused that diabetes. So mm -hmm. people don't see that. When you tell people you can actually reverse diabetes, they will not believe you. They would, they would rather continue eating the meat and, and the chicken and, and, and be hostage to the pills and, and the insulin shots, which is crazy. Yeah. And completely nip their potential in the butt. You know, who mm. they can be as a person. Superhumanize. You know, I find something very interesting that's now become rather mainstream around the U.S., especially uh, genetic testing. I find this a very helpful tool. for. I mean, for me, it didn't matter in a sense as I already am plant-based. I eat a very healthy diet, but I learned, for example, that I have a little bit of a higher risk for diabetes. How do you see that genetic testing and can actually in combination with nutrition become a tool for the greater population, maybe help further? I, I, I don't agree. Mm -hmm. I, th I think all of these are just gigs to to just milk money out of you. Genetics testing, blood type testing, mm -hmm. the keto diet, the paleo diet, all of these are fads. Mm -hmm. Like 50, 70 years ago, our our grandparents didn't do any kind of genetic testing. They just ate simple food. Uh, I, I maybe, maybe my genes were telling me that I have a higher risk of cancer or diabetes, but I, I don't know. I mean, what would I change? I'm eating healthy. So, so just eat the simple foods, eat the simple plant-based diet, mm -hmm. and hopefully you will, you know, you will have a, a lower risk of everything because all of these genes will be expressed of what you do to them. Mm -hmm. Dr. Michael Greger always says genes are the bullet, mm -hmm. but what you eat is the trigger yes. that would shoot that bullet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, keep that bullet in the in the in the pistol chamber, untouched. And continue being healthy so that that will not be triggered to be shot. And I think for people like you and I who are quite aware about nutrition and the cause and effect, uh, something like a genetic test might not be as fundamental. But I know of people who are seeing something black and white and might be like, oh, they need it. But talking about fads and fad diets, um, there's in LA, everybody seems to be on the keto diet. Everybody's a carbophobe. What's wrong with that? Uh, it's just the key to that. I mean, I don't understand wh where, when, when did then humanity decide that it's a good idea to dump fat into your dishes mm -hmm. and to dump fat into your bloodstream? The people just continue. A key to diet is basically the like the resurrection of the Atkins diet. Mm -hmm. which we all know it's horrible. horrible. So I don't know why is it coming back as keto. Why is it, why, why, why do you, it is not, and, and, and it just like blows my mind with people, oh, it's a normal diet. Well, uh, this is how our ancestors <laughs> live. No, our ancestor hunted uh, animals for 14 days on empty stomach until they got them. They didn't go and get them from the supermarket. Keto diet is one of the most uh, outrageous things out there because, it is not scientifically proven. It doesn't have enough peer pressure. It is very questionable. It, uh, the, the science that is made, that is, that is supported, is very questionable and uh, very controversial. And people continue doing the key to that. And that's why you have people in their 
mid 30s and mid 40s they drop dead mm. they drop dead and they go to the gym and they're very muscular but they don't understand we have this there's this expression called thin from the outside mm-hmm. and fat from the outside yeah. uh, from fat from the inside you're basically you are depositing all of these plagues of cholesterol and fat into your blood uh, uh, blood vessels and at a certain time there will be a little bit of a rupture a tiny rupture and that will just completely occlude your coronary arteries and you got to go into a heart attack and i every, even in egypt i have people in their mid 30s and mid 40s just die suddenly and you look at their pictures and he went to the gym he was healthy or muscular but he had like huge amount of meat mm. it's it's not it's i i don't understand it's just like the people will just do every anything just to 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 have an excuse to eat fat and meat like i don't know irish coffee what's the other thing the the coffee with butter and now people are putting butter on coffee bulletproof. what the hell yeah. what what's the, what's the name of it a bulletproof coffee a bu- bulletproof coffee so i take it you're not a big fan of dave asprey's i don't know who dave asprey is <laughs> I, i don't understand i don't i don't care but that is just it's 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 uh, when was a good idea seriously to pump fat into your bloodstream it's 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 ridiculous it's outrageous How much fat does a normal sized person actually need a day? We're talking probably about teaspoons. 7 to 10% of his calories. Yeah. yeah. So it's maybe what? A teaspoon or two total or No, no. So uh you're um So basically um if you have uh 2000 calories diet, 2000 calories diet a day and a 10% will be at 200 calories. Mm-hmm. And that could be maybe a couple of avocado, an avocado, a couple yeah. of avocados, maybe a Table few nuts. Tablespoon yeah. olive oil. No, table. No? Here's the thing: tablespoon is 120 calories. So uh-huh. you're already mm-hmm. that is already 60% of your fat intake with, oh a, with, with one tablespoon okay. of olive oil. Uh, Here I am dousing my salads and everything with olive oil. Well, and <laughs> and that's why a lot of people say, but I'm not losing weight because they eat a, they get a, a beautiful salad, and then they dump like half a bottle of olive oil and that is 700 <laughs> calories of pure fat mm-hmm. uh with all due respect to olive oil it is still processed it is still oil it is still pure fat and this whole thing about oh it's a good source of omega-3 actually to get the uh, enough omega-3 from olive oil you have to take like five liters of olive oil <laughs> which nobody does <laughs> so uh, uh, so no uh, you, you have just to be careful from Uh, again, and this is the ideal. Of course, you can a little bit, you know, you can, it could be like some people get 15, 20, I guess we're not militant. I'm just talking mm-hmm. about like the ideal numbers uh, of, of of how much you can get uh, on your intake. Mm. And on a, another side note uh, regarding keto, you know, what happens to our bodies when we pretty much completely cut out carbohydrates? And I know it's slightly different for men and women, but. Well, there's a lot of things, but like a lot of people also talk about cravings. Mm-hmm. And and the reason that they have the craving is they don't they don't have any carbs anymore, so they crave anything sugary. But when you if people surprisingly, enough, when you have enough carbs, your normal carbs intake, you you have the whole glycogen and glucose in your body, so your cravings to sugar are not that bad. So my advice to people who go into plant based diet, my first advice mm-hmm. like don't be hungry. That's my first advice. advice. Don't be hungry. Yes. Eat your rice, eat your potatoes, eat your sweet potatoes. Don't fry them roast them eat them 
eat your like don't be hungry because that is your biggest enemy uh because uh, people think of diet and it's it's starvation it's not a starvation it is i eat a huge amount of food and i i don't get hungry and that's why i don't get cravings so yes <laughs> your body is a carbohydrate machine it's a starch machine it's 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 even in your saliva you have amylase in your saliva your body is prepared to digest carbohydrates in your mouth from even there it's everything about your body the way even your uh, your jaw movement you know when, when like uh, dogs and cats and and meat eaters they they have mm-hmm. like a uniaxial movement of their of their yes. jaw we are like horses and cattle we go side to side to grind the grains and the and and the plant-based stuff mm. you know we are we are made to consume plant-based you know there's a big hype right now about being metabolically flexible so there's people out there like dr joseph marcola who he's very much into you know the intermittent fasting but he also says you know between burning fat what keto's about and burning sugars or carbohydrates for fuel it's important to be metabolically flexible well, I don't know about that, but like again, my, I, when I tell people plant based, I'm I'm not militant. Mm-hmm. I say like, yeah, if if you, a lot of people say like, oh, I I I give up everything, but I cannot give up fish. It's like, fine, keep the fish. Mm-hmm. If whatever makes you continue with the show, with the with the uh, sorry, with the diet as a whole, um, and if you're talking about uh, being in a ketosis, the the healthiest way to be in ketosis is through fasting, not having. <laughs> Not having like keto diet, which it's basically destroys you. But like, I I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. I like intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. It, I basically it's skipping breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I mean another thing, but that's probably more if you're really uh, chronically ill or you're trying to achieve a certain state of mind, like what your friend did when he went on the two week water fast. Yes, water fasting. Yes, water fasting is intense, and it it, it if. If you will do it beyond five or six days, I think you should be under medical supervision. Mm. It's very interesting, you know, how all these uh, different type diets um, are, you know, popularized. There was also something called the blood type diet. It still is out there. I mean, I'm um, O negative. So um, apparently I'm the hunter gatherer meat eating machine, which I was for many, many years of my life. But I've been plant-based now for uh, 12 years, first vegetarian, then vegan. And I mean, I constantly get my blood work done, everything. I like to check my stuff and see what's just part of, you know, uh, having fun with biohacking. But everything is fine, you know. I have a friend of mine who owned a restaurant back in Dubai. And he was an O, blood Mm -hmm. type O. And he was told by his doctor, you should eat meat. And he did a blood test, uh, a sensitivity test. And he was... He couldn't eat like three quarters of the stuff. Uh, he couldn't eat broccoli. He couldn't eat nuts. He couldn't eat dates. And he had, uh, he would like be in pain every meal. I said, why don't you go plant based? And he said, like, but like the doctor tends mm-hmm. to just, and in two weeks, he had like his problems were subsided. And he went to his doctor. like, you don't understand anything. And he's a, what, what the whole thing about they were like, the blood O type should eat meat. That is absolute nonsense. It that is. That is I'm absolute nonsense. Example. And there is, and if you look at the literature, blood the blood type is just a way for doctors to make you pay for services. The, the, why is plant-based diet is not as popular as it should be? Mm-hmm. But there's because there is not so much because not that much money out of it. 
because it's simple. We, we tell people to, to eat people that are minimally processed. Where do people get their, their money when they process stuff? When they get something, process it, change it, and they give it to you, and then you pay more money. Yeah. But if you pay for an apple or a lettuce... Or you even grow your own apples. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> let's say you just buy them. The, the, the margin of profit is not that high. Yeah. And that is why they're not popular. And there are so many myths surrounding the vegan diet. We touched upon a few of them uh, in our conversation. But one of them is also you can't be strong, you know, when you're I, a vegan. I, I think with a quick Google search of uh, vegan athletes and vegan bodybuilders more and on more. Google, yes. it's just like you find all the pictures that you will find. Yes. So, but they get steroids. Like, what about the meat eaters? They don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you yourself are very much into fitness. And it would be great if you could share with us some of your routine, nutritional staples like must-dos. Uh, one of the most important things you already shared when people go vegan, don't be hungry. But for yourself, somebody who's athletic and... No, I, I, you just, I, I work out every day in the gym. I like yeah. working in the gym. Mm -hmm. And you just have to increase your calories. Uh, you, you increase your calories, you're going to increase your protein intake. Uh, if you want, you really want to have like bigger muscles, you want to have like, there's all, all kinds of sources of vegan powders that you can take, you know, because uh, if you needed more amino acids, whatever. But I, it's really about, uh, I try as much as possible to eat at home and I eat simple stuff, huge salads, Buddha, Buddha bowls. Mm -hmm. I eat my carbs. Uh, I eat my fr uh, I eat fruits, <laughs> so and that's also another thing about craving. So when you eat fruits, you get the sugar from the fruits, and that is that really curbs your cravings. When you don't, when you are in the keto diet, you anything that is refined food, refined sugar, you're attracted to it. Now I cannot eat refined sugar anymore. It, it actually disgusts you. It is. It's just like the taste is not as. As fun. Now, now, like I, I, you can taste the sugar more in vegetables and in fruits, and uh, it's like it's like if I get like a sip of Pepsi, for example, or a Coke, that that's like a shock to the system. That's too much. Same now with sugar. Superhumanize. Animal protein is becoming somewhat of a status symbol in countries with rapidly rising middle classes. Uh, looking at China, for example, they're consuming so much more meat than they did. And they have, a a, and have, have a rising rates of cancer and, yeah. and, and chronic disease. Same in India. So how, yeah. can, how can this perception be countered? Well, again, it is about education. It's about showing people the misconception that they have that are not true. Uh, and it's basically having, here's the thing, there, there's, there's the three main reasons why people go plant-based diet is for health, uh, for uh, environment, mm -hmm. and for animal cruelty. And the, unfortunately, animal cruelty and, and environment is, is a little bit more remote, distant from people. So I, I use, uh, I go through the selfish part of humans, which is their health. Mm -hmm. It is how they feel every day, how they feel after every meal, how they feel every time uh, they go to sleep, what happens to them when they go to the bathroom, the kind of medical bills that we'll get if they have a disease. So that is, that's why I do more of a, a selfish approach to people. The morals follow later. Uh, you know, I, I was not interested in the whole thing about like the animal cruelty or, or environment, but like after five or six years, now I see it's like, 
I don't need to kill animals to survive. Why do mm. we need do we kill them? But like this is this is not my uh, prime directive when I speak to people because whenever you talk people about like oh like look at these poor animals they 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 will brush it. It's, a lot of people use the shock method of showing the cruelty of animals, but that works with people, but doesn't work with many people because and it they, doesn't last for many. That people. doesn't they last. Right they will out. brush it and they will go back. But what is the ever the lasting effect of of any change is what you feel day by day. That's very true. Mm-hmm. And I know you're working on bringing this to a broader public in the Middle East. You have some initiatives going on there for public health. Well, I'm, I, I'm not just that. I'm hoping to kind of like uh, ex- expand that platform in the Middle East and kind of like work on, uh, start to speak to investors to build wellness centers in order to help people into intermittent fasting, water fasting, and plant-based diet. But I also I want to bring that message also globally. Mm-hmm. And I want to actually be uh, uh, able to kind of, contribute to that message here in the United States because I think there's a lot of uh, uh, of things that people n- Americans need to know and as you've seen the website it's kind of a one, one-stop shop you have yes. the information you have the recipes you have the the, uh, the videos I want to kind of like make it easier for people to follow that lifestyle yes it's it's a fantastic tool and you know to come back to the quote of Good health can unite people. I've always felt that there's even more than physical health to a good nutrition. You know, people who pump their bodies full of stuff that uh, stresses the bodies, puts them out of balance, they're in a constant fight or flight mode, which causes them to make bad decisions uh, constantly, you know, for themselves, their family. And I dare say it even goes so far as to politics. If people are living in this state, they're reactionary all of the time. And I've always believed that if we base uh, our diet on something that is balanced and peaceful versus something that is toxic and violent, that our world might be a little bit of a different place. This is a little bit of a utopian approach. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that because I come from a, a medical background, I like to talk to people about things that they can quantify. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is beautiful, but you cannot quantify uh, uh, peacefulness. You cannot uh, like you cannot uh, measure peacefulness. <laughs> uh, you cannot you cannot uh, uh, calibrate uh, harmony, but. But if you have a disease and your blood works is giving you a certain readings of whatever ha- disease you have, what the kind of medication that you have, and then after a few weeks, you don't take this medication anymore and your blood works better, that is a quantifiable change that Absolutely. I can actually talk to people about. So this is amazing. This is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. This is a, a, a much more deeper philosophical thing. But I would like, at the end of the day, people don't care about that. They care about their next meal. Yes, and they and they and they panic. What I'm gonna eat? What I'm gonna eat? What I'm gonna eat? Well, what I'm gonna do? That they they, they, they don't they don't care about world peace. <laughs> Most of them care only about right what's right in front of them. Uh, yes. So, pragmatic approach is very very smart, and you deliver that and beautifully mm-hmm. with um, Plant B. Um, illness is not only come at a high cost to individuals, but it has a high financial cost to societies. Uh, you look at people who can't be part of the workforce anymore because they have had preceding diabetes. Um, all kinds of issues arise. Um, As a matter of fact, medical medical bills are the number one 
cause of bankruptcy in the United States, followed by uh, uh, defaulting on home loans and student debt. Mm -hmm. How can governments, or let's say the U.S. government, become more involved with this? I mean, we we like to say we want less government. Well, well, well the each I think it is. Um, I think they need to level the playground. Uh, so the American government gives $30 billion to uh, animal farming as subsidies. And that's why the meat is cheap. Yes. And they subsidize uh, fruits and vegetables and produce by like, I don't know, $3 million, something like that. $30 billion and $3 Ridiculous. Million. So, yeah, I mean, make like, you need to level the ground. You need to have, you need to hear from the other doctors who've been working with patients and reversing their disease and you need to put them uh, there. The problem is that we, there has been a couple of documentaries like Cowspiracy mm -hmm. who have actually described how many of the government, the, like USDA and the government agency, USDA and other, uh, even medical agencies have, are pretty much, uh, involved with the meat and dairy industry because you know they are their sponsors and they get the money. If if it's it's crazy when you go to uh, uh, I was it I don't know the Heart Association, medical uh, American Heart Association mm -hmm, or American, mm -hmm. whatever I, I can't remember with the movie, but in their suggested recipes they had bacon. Oh, what the health? Is yeah, the movie you're yeah, what about? the health? Uh -huh. Yeah, Carlos yeah. and what the health? They're the same producers. So it, it, it's 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 uh, ridiculous. If someone who's a heart disease and tell them to eat bacon, what what kind of a death uh, sentence are you giving them? What do you say to people who you know are just milling about? They're not really feeling great, but they say, "I don't want anybody telling me I can't have meat, dairy, and eggs." They can do whatever they want, but if if they feel bad, they will have to. So I mean, here's the thing: I can, you cannot help someone who doesn't want to help himself. Mm -hmm. And if someone is under the impression that he's doing great and amazing, I will not go and and change his mind. Uh, when when you when when you start when you do something that is related to behavioral change, people have to have the need and the um, the intention of making change. You can you cannot pull someone or or take or push someone doing something that they don't want, uh, because that is just like too much effort you're losing that could be otherwise we use other people who want to change. So I focus on the people who want to change, and hopefully these people, when they more, they will lead by example, and then those stubborn people will see more and more people around them, and they will maybe they will follow the herd. Being a healer has been a thread through your life you know a cardiac surgeon and then healing a country uh, via humor healing attempting to heal a political system and now being this awesome advocate for plant-based nutrition to help people you know in the middle east but also the u.s to get in, back into a state of balance and so all these different areas in your life all these different things that you have been doing, how do they all inform each other? Uh, well, the the one thing that basically links all of that is media. It is uh, reaching as many people as possible with the right message, whether using humor, whether using science, whether using uh, uh, facts. This is, this is all linked together. At the end of the day, this is a platform that you speak to people, and hopefully you can want to change your mind. And it's all linked to uh, changing people's perception about politics or about mm -hmm. 
uh, or about their own health or about their own food. So it is pretty much linked together. We're, we're in touch and I always kind of am able to keep track of what you're doing, but you have so much on your plate. There's always something new and exciting popping up. It is only up. projects that you hope it will make. You know, this is the thing about <laughs> Hollywood. What do you do? I'm working on a project. <laughs> and, and, and you hope that this project... <laughs> We'll go on. Everybody's writing scripts. Everybody is having stuff. It's this is Hollywood. Everybody yeah. is working on so many projects. Mm -hmm. But again, you're waiting for the big break. So, uh, what's next for you? Well, the thing I uh, hopefully I'm I'm still touring with the one man show with the uh, the, um, the stand up comedy, and I'm changing that into actually a theatrical piece. I'm working with the one of the networks into to develop um, a kind of a, a travel political show. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I want to work on the um, uh, plant-based diet to bring it to the United States with a different uh, angle. Uh, it will be interesting for Americans to see that people in the Middle East are actually suffering from the same problems. And maybe we can try to find something together. Mm -hmm. You're a thought leader in so many different areas. You're just like you're 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 just like showering me with all of these compliments. <laughs> I feel you do. You're a, you're a, you're a thought leader, you're a renaissance man, you're a, <laughs> you're, you're you're iron man. I I don't know. I mean no, like you're, you're, you're just too, you're, someone else. you're you're too you're too generous. <laughs> no, the one who's generous, truly being generous is you. You're um, changing millions oh, of people's lives. Oh stop. And I just seriously oh, cannot wait. Stop. I seriously can't wait what we're going to see next from you and i know we're going to be in touch and thank you so much for being here it's been an absolute pleasure Bethan. thank you so much thank you <laughs> superhumanize accelerated evolution